Good morning. Our scriptural reading this morning before the lesson comes from the book of John. John 4, verses 5 through 10. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto a city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, <clears throat> and he would have given, it to, uh, given thee living water. Well, I'm so glad to be with you today. Let me apologize for my voice. It was shot last Sunday, and I thought for sure I would be okay today. Not so. I feel better, and I appreciate the prayers and the concern on my part, but my voice still is lacking just a little bit. But anyway, I apologize for that. Hopefully we can get through this and ask Brother Carl to be ready with an invitation song at any point because I may just have to sit down. Anyway, we're so thankful for all who are here today, especially our visitors. You're our honored guests, and we, we sincerely mean that. We appreciate and are so thankful for your presence today and, and want you to come back and be with us at, at every opportunity. I've chosen this passage this morning. This came about as, uh, of course, a couple of weeks ago we were in Cary, North Carolina, I was holding a meeting over there with a friend of mine and uh, on the way back we were talking and I was doing some work uh, and uh, the girls, particularly Nicole, mentioned uh, doing a sermon within this context. And I said, okay, that would be very easy, that would be simple. So I opened up my Bible as we were traveling and I began to study through that and study through that and I said, boy, this is going to take more time than this. And so I didn't preach on that last Sunday. And so I continued my study and my effort. And I appreciate the, uh, uh, the suggestion. Nicole is uh, a great encourager to our family. She's the best part of our family. And uh, we love and appreciate her, and I'm thankful to her for her support and her encouragement. As we read this passage in John, we come to John chapter 4, and the fourth chapter of John presents to the reader a literary series of transitional events. A lot of things are happening within these first few chapters of uh, the gospel according to John. And those events, they provide to us a very significant aspect about Christ's personal ministry and His interaction with the people as He left Judea and as He entered into Galilee. And they also provide pertinent information to us regarding correct worship of God, such as the transition that would take place from temple worship, where the individual would go to the temple, 
would offer the sacrifice, the priest would take the sacrifice and would offer that to God. There would be a transition away from that. And it would go, uh, transition over into what we now know and understand as the Christian age, when Christ died on the cross and the church was established that we read about in Acts chapter 2. Now it went to individual worship. We would collectively come together and we didn't need a priest to offer up our sacrifices. The writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 13, we offer up the sacrifice of the fruit of our lips. Now we no longer offer animal sacrifices. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the transition into a law that is easily understood and easily obeyed. If we look at the Old Testament, and most people, and myself included, when we look at the Old Testament, we think of the Ten Commandments. Oh, they wish there were only Ten Commandments to the Old Testament, right? Those were Ten Primary Commandments that Moses brought down from the uh, mountain Sinai and delivered to the children of Israel. But there were commandment after commandment as we read through the books of Exodus and Leviticus and and Deuteronomy that they were to uphold. And so we've been transitioned over into this new law. We live under the New Testament law. We don't observe any aspect of the old law. Uh, <clears throat> certain aspects of the old law have been brought over and taught in, into the New Testament. We get over to Acts chapter 13. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul begins to talk about uh, the law, and he wouldn't have known not to covet if it were not for the law. And he talked about not coveting and not murdering and things like that. Of course, those are parts of the old law, parts of the Ten Commandments, but they became a part of the New Testament law. We don't observe not one single Old Testament commandment. We observe all of the New Testament. And so that was this transition that Jesus, in essence, was talking about as He was sitting at this well speaking to this woman. Of course, without doubt, this fourth chapter of John gives us some great insight into Jesus' life. And it's rich with historical and cultural and and doctrinal truths that, that help us to understand the things that have been delivered to us. We have very significant doctrinal features that are found in this chapter, such as the disciples' use of baptism that's spoken of, the differentiation between the central Palestinian Jew and the Samaritan is talked about, the truth of Jesus and His messianic claim to be that prophet of whom uh, Moses spake. Now, several other New Testament principles are also addressed in this section of Scripture, this fourth chapter, including the principle of labor and harvest. That's spoken of, as well as the relationship between faith and knowledge. I think Brother Ron actually talked about that in class this morning. He said there there are two aspects of uh, of the Bible. There is there is knowledge, and then there are those things that are demanded from each individual person. And I think that's we might say faith and and knowledge. There are some things in the Bible that we can disagree on that are matters of opinion or scruples, and that's fine. But we can't disagree on doctrinal matters that will lead to our salvation or to our damnation. 
you may have to turn me up as we go along, Martin. I, I, I feel like I'm going down pretty quickly. At any rate, within the first four verses of chapter 4, we uh, understand what led up to and what was the motivating force behind Jesus going into Galilee. He, we read about in chapter 3, uh, some things that happened, and then in chapter 4, we see the envy of the Jewish leaders and their hatred toward Jesus and how He was becoming very popular uh, among the people. And they feared Him even more than they feared John the baptizer. They feared Jesus even more. Of course, it was John who made the statement <clears throat> in the first parts of, of uh, uh, his gospel how He must decrease and how the Christ must increase. And so they feared the Christ. They feared Him greatly. And so they began to demonstrate their animosity toward Him. Now, in, uh, the apostle here provided for us also the very necessary geographic information. And it's very interesting. And it's something that we need to understand. When Christ went from Judea up to Galilee, He took the straightest route. Normally, the Jew went around Samaria. You had Judea, you had Samaria, you had Galilee. What the, what the Orthodox Jew would do, they would go into Perea, go up into Decapolis, and then they would come around and cross, having crossed the Jordan River twice, going into Samaria because they hated Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. They viewed them as less than an animal. In fact, the Orthodox Jew in their oral traditions, said if you stepped on Samaritan land, you became unclean. And when you look in the Babylonian Talmud, you uh, <clears throat> learn about the things that those Orthodox Jews taught concerning uh, the... Uh, uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. <clears throat> the Orthodox Jew concerning their hatred toward the Samaritans. So it's very interesting to understand why Jesus went through Samaria when anyone else would not because they despised uh, the Samaritans. Now, I don't think it's accidental at all that this account comes on the heels of chapter 3 where Jesus spent a, uh, a period of time at night speaking to Nicodemus. He taught Nicodemus the way to salvation. He said you have to be born of spirit and of water. And uh, uh, Nicodemus misunderstood. He said, how is it that a man can go back into the womb? Well, he wasn't talking about being born physically, but talking about being born spiritually. You have to be born of the spirit. The spirit through uh, the Holy Spirit, the apostles and the writers were inspired and they brought this plan of salvation. And Jesus was talking about how that would happen. And he was demonstrating that the message had to come from heaven. And of course, <clears throat> his plan of salvation included water baptism. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and as we see Jesus talking about that, all of a sudden we find him sitting at the well in Samaria. He stopped about halfway in a Samaritan city named Sychar. He is sitting there, and of course, ethnicity never concerned Jesus Christ. He looked at the soul. He was a soul 
seeker. He was a soul reacher. And we see it from the very beginning of his ministry when he brought Nathaniel to him to the very end of it when he spoke to the thief on the cross who repented of his sins. And he said, you'll be with me this day in paradise. I think it is very important to keep in mind Jesus did His work among the Jewish nation. He did His work among the Jewish nation. Now, He's in Israel. He's in Judea. He's in the part of this Jewish nation, and He's doing His work there. And again, the Samaritans, they worshipped a corrupted form of the law of Moses. And so Jesus was also reaching out, trying to get them to, to change what they were doing. And that was what the conversation was about. He's, uh, uh, the lady at the well said, we worship at this place. And Jesus said, we worship in Jerusalem and we do so rightly. But there's going to come a time when we're not going to worship on this mountain or anywhere else. We're going to worship in spirit and in truth. And that's what he was talking about, the congregational worship. So Christ's work primarily was among the lost sheep of Israel. And he tried to bring them back. Now the interaction... Uh, between Jesus and the woman changed her life eternally. And we can learn from that. And I want us to make some application this morning for just a few moments. This woman came to the well, and the title of the sermon this morning is, Will You Come to the Well? And I want us to begin with the meeting. With this meeting between this woman and the Lord, we have the Savior. The Savior is there. He is walking into Samaria. He's walking on His way to Galilee. Now that tells us a few things. He was in abject poverty. He was in abject poverty. He wasn't riding a donkey. He wasn't in a chariot. He wasn't in any of those things. He was very poor. He had absolutely nothing in this life except the clothes on His back. And so He walked into this place and He sat down on this uh, well. We need to understand that He endured everything we endure in this life. And more. And so when He sat on this well, He was very tired. It's a long way from Judea to Galilee, even if you stop in Sychar. So He sat down and he is, He's worn out. But you know what He's still interested in? He's still interested in being the Savior. No one can be saved unless there is a Savior. And so he was interested in doing that. Even though he's tired, he's still fulfilling his very purpose in coming to this life, Luke 19.10, to seek and to save that which is lost. Now we need to make some application to our own lives. We need to look at the Lord. And we need to look and pick up on some small details here that tell us a whole lot about His character. Have you ever come home from work being very tired? Being worn out? Maybe it was an an unusually hard day. Maybe it was just a normal day. And it was just simply, that's the type of work in which we're involved. And we come home and we're tired. Brother Clay worked at the cement plant for years. And and that's hard work. Brother Carl builds. Brother Greg builds. and and, And that's very difficult and hard work. And I've come home from work before after having worked several hours in the body shop and <clears throat> been very tired and you sit down. And what happens when you sit down? Boy, you may better be careful, hadn't you? You might just go to sleep. I don't know if any, uh, many of you recall 
few months ago that happened to me. I went home. I don't normally go home in between services. I sat down on the couch and I went to sleep. That's why I don't go home. But anyway, you, you sit down and you're very tired and all you want to do is kick off your shoes, sit back for a moment and just get to the point where you feel like getting up and, and maybe doing a little something. But it's Wednesday night. What do I do? You know what a lot of people do? You know what a lot of members of the Lord's church do? They just go ahead and kick back and they sit down and they relax. You know, that's not what the Lord did, was it? He had walked all the way from Judea to Samaria to Sychar. And He's sitting on this well. He's a man like anyone else. He's tired like anyone else. He sent the disciples for food. He's starving to death. He wants something to eat. And you know what He does? He's still interested in being the Savior. So He reached out and He begins to talk. Jesus is the Savior of the world because He saved people. He sat on the well. And we need to look at what He does. And we need to say, do I have just a little bit more energy? Can I get up and do just a little bit more for Christ? Maybe the person down the road would be interested if I would speak to them. But as the Savior said on this well, along came a sinner. And then the meeting takes place, doesn't it? We have this woman coming, a woman of Samaria. She's drawing water. Jews do not interact with, with Samaritans. And so she comes to the well. And here's something that's very interesting. She comes at about, what does it say, the sixth hour? That's noontime. She comes in the hottest part of the day. What does that tell us as we're looking at this Samaritan woman? <clears throat> Do you know what it told me for all those years? Absolutely nothing. It told me she was coming to the well and I wanted to get to the meeting and to the conversation. But that tells us something as we begin to study. This woman was an outcast of outcasts. She did not come in the early morning hours when it was cool like everybody else did. When the women came to draw water, they came when it was cool. Not her, she came in the hot part of the day. She was outcast, she was hated. And we learn later on why. She was a fornicator. She was married five times. She was living in sin with someone else and they didn't want to have anything to do with her. They didn't want to sit with her or to draw water with her. And I'm sure she wanted to come during the middle of the day so she wouldn't be insulted and taunted and attacked in different ways. That's who we're dealing with. So this sinner comes to Jesus and she begins to draw water. She came to the well. Jesus wanted her to be saved. So she asked for water. Or He asked her for a drink. She's shocked and amazed, isn't she? And that brings us from the meeting to the matter. What's the whole point? That's our second point. What's the whole purpose? We have this, what's, what is the, the fundamental matter here of what's going on at this well? Jesus and the woman began to talk about water. Water is a wonderful thing. I love it and I appreciate Brother Greg bringing me some water. And so Jesus asked her for a cup of water, for a drink. He had been walking 
He was thirsty. And she was shocked and amazed. She said, how are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? Now let's keep in mind, in this culture, very inappropriate for a rabbi to speak publicly to a woman out in public. That was their tradition. That was their oral tradition. So Jesus is breaking with oral tradition. He asked her for a drink. And she just couldn't understand it. So she says, you don't have anything to to draw water with. And then he says, let me give you a drink of water. If you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink of water. And this water is the water you'll never be thirsty again. It's the water of life. And so she's still misunderstanding this. She's confused. She's not getting the difference between the spiritual and the physical. When we drink water in this life, we will be thirsty again. When we drink the living water in the next life, we'll never be thirsty. And that's what Jesus was offering her. He was offering her eternal life. But always keep in mind, in the back of your mind, she came to the well. She went to what she thought was the source of water. And it was the source of physical water. But thankfully, and thank God for this, Jesus happened to be there. And so we learned this great lesson. At any rate, she was confused. She was still thinking about physical water. But then Jesus turned the conversation. He went from water to wickedness. Now he's going to talk about some very personal things with this lady. To awaken her spiritual needs, Jesus plainly spoke of the worst part of her life. He said, go get your husband. She said, I don't have one. Jesus said, you speak truly. Not only did you... Are you not married now? But you've been married five times in the past. And the person with whom you're living now is not your husband. Now someone would look at this, and I'm sure critics over the years have looked at this statement and said, how forward, how rude for someone to bring up personal things in someone's life that they're ashamed of. Now here's the lesson. She was living in sin. Solomon warned this, Proverbs thirteen fifteen. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. We are more afraid of revealing our secret sins than God is of revealing them to us. And so he revealed this. And we need to know, this is the lesson. If I'm going to be saved, what do I need to understand? <clears throat> I need to understand that I'm lost. Before I can turn around in a car and go the right direction, I have to understand I am lost. Oh, we were on our trip this past uh, week, a couple weeks ago. We were traveling through uh, North Carolina and I would be talking with Nicole and uh, invariably I would miss the turn. But do you know when when I turned around? When I realized I was going the wrong direction. And then I turned around and I came back. This woman needed to understand where she was. She knew where she was, but she needed to really understand where she was. Adam needed to know where he was when God asked him, Where art thou? God knew where Adam was. Adam needed to understand that. I need to understand personally in my life, and I'm the only one that can do this. For myself, I need to understand where am I? Where am I? 
Am I living righteously or am I not living righteously? Am I examining myself uh, like Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians? Or am I not? Am I overlooking it? Am I pushing it to the side and not living the way <clears throat> that I ought to live, knowing I ought to do better? That's what this lady was doing. She had pushed it to the side. She had decided that she was just going to not think about it. And Jesus brought it to her attention. She needed to focus on it. Without conviction, we cannot be saved. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin. So what happened? We see the meeting. We understand the matter. What's the point that Jesus is getting to here? Now we understand the whole meaning of it. This is our third and final point. Without conviction, we cannot have salvation. We have to understand that, John 16, verse 8. The individual needs to understand where he or she is. We need to understand we're lost, that we're in need of something. We don't go to the doctor until we understand we're sick, right? And so this lady responded. And she responded in the appropriate way. We can respond in different ways, right? We can be for, we can be against, and we just can't not care. This woman responded positively. The woman revealed her concern that she was truly interested in spiritual things. She was truly interested in religious things. She wanted to understand about worship. She wanted to know what she needed to do. And the words of Jesus transformed this woman. It changed her because He taught her. And for her time, now remember, she's living under the law of Moses. For her time, She responded in the proper way. She responded correctly to the way that Jesus needed her to respond. She needed to be faithful under the law of Moses. Now let's understand this. The law was given to the Jews particularly. But it had universal laws that everyone had to obey. There was the aspect of the covenant relationship between Israel and God. But within the law, it made provision for the stranger at the gate. It made provision for the proselyte. And so the universal laws were in, uh, in order. And so this woman had to do that. She had to obey those laws. She had to change what she was doing. She was worshiping improperly. And so she had to go back and do what she needed to do. She needed to be changed. But isn't that how Jesus touches a person's life? He changes them. Notice what Paul said. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I have to understand I need to be made over. I need to be changed, right? We need to understand we have to come out of sin into light. And before I do that, I can't respond unless I'm aware of that. Now, it happened for the woman of Samaria. It can happen to us today. Now, again, let's keep in mind, she was living under the law of Moses. We don't respond the same way she responded. But she did reach out. She responded, and then she reached out. She went, and she told someone, didn't she? I think that is absolutely amazing. Is that out of the ordinary? Is that abnormal that a disciple of Christ would immediately go and 
tell the good news to someone else? No, that's what God expects. He expects us to do that. She ran into the city. She spoke to the, to the men. She said, I saw a man who told me all things about me. Everything I've ever done, he knew about it. He's the Messiah. He's the one that was spoken of, that Abraham talked about. This is the Messiah. This is the one Moses talked about. <clears throat> Do you know what happened? They came. They begged Him to stay. They believed on Him. Those Samaritans, those low-down, low-life, sorry Samaritans. Who would have ever thought that a Samaritan would be interested in listening to the words of life? Not a Jew out there. Not a Jew living in the day of Jesus would have ever reached out to a Samaritan. Now what about us? What kind of application can we make? We're not living under the old law. We're not living in Judea. We're not having to face the Samaritans. We're not Samaritans. We're certainly not Jews. We need to reach out to those around us. doesn't matter. <clears throat> the homeless person who's, who's sitting on the side of the road <clears throat> looks like he hasn't bathed in two weeks. Do we pass him by? Or do we reach out to that person? He might be someone who, who's never heard the gospel. I don't know. How do I know unless I speak to him? Let me give you a small example. And I'm not mentioning this <clears throat> as a pat on my back. I, I don't do this very often just simply because I'm a little wary. <clears throat> but I, I, I should do it more. I was traveling down Hickson Pike. Come around... <clears throat> came up Access Road, and I see a man standing in, in the center. He's holding a sign, and, and normally you see young men doing that, don't you? You see young men out there holding the sign, and I'm thinking, well, you're in better shape than I am. Why aren't you working? Well, there's this older gentleman was standing there, <clears throat> aged man. And so I saw him, and it touched me, and I thought, well, bless his heart. <laughs> So I drove up, I went to Arby's, I just got him a meal. <clears throat> I came back around and I handed it out the window to him and I gave him a meal and something to drink. That's not anything great or special that I did. <clears throat> but what I did do was I put a card in the bag. It said, White Oak Church of Christ. Had our phone number on it. You know, I don't know if that man will call or not, but we need to reach out to those people. We need to give everyone an opportunity. Who would have given a low-life Samaritan thought of worse than a dog an opportunity? I'll tell you who did. The Savior of the world because He is a Savior. Do you know how, you're sa how you get saved? That's a term that, that we hear a lot. You know how you get saved? You have to first want to be saved, don't you? How do you grab the, the, the rope when you're out in the water? you got to want to grab it. you got to want to get out of the water. This woman wanted to be saved and she came to the right place. She came to the place where she could get the water of life. And Jesus offered that to her. And that's how the life of a Christian should be. What do we do today? I think a very valid question is, how do I become a disciple of Christ? When we read Ephesians 1 verse 3, we learn very quickly that all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus promised to us. 
So the first thing that anyone ought to ask, how did I get into Christ? Do not take anyone's word for that. If they can't show you in the Bible how to get into Christ, pay no attention to it. Too many people in the world say, well, my so-and-so says this, or my so-and-so says that. The preachers, it doesn't matter what the preacher says. It matters what the Bible says. Preachers can be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I want to know about it because I want to go to heaven. How do I get into Christ? When we look through the book of Acts, we see it, we read about a whole lot of things. First of all, we read from the very words of Jesus before we ever get over into the book of Acts. John 8, verse 24, If you don't believe who I am, that I am who I am, you'll die in your sins. We must have faith. <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews says, Without faith it is impossible to, pol- to, to please Him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. We get into Acts and Peter and the other apostles deliver that wonderful sermon. We have Peter's recorded for us. And he talks about repentance in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. You have to believe on Christ. You have to repent of your sins. We run into the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He's reading about Isaiah. Or he's reading in the scroll of Isaiah. Philip goes up to him. He says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless someone teaches me? Verse 27 of Acts chapter 8, he says, and I began at that same verse <clears throat> and taught him Jesus. So if someone's going to be taught Jesus, they have to know that they have to confess that he is the Son of God. Because we read that in verse 37. See, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? Philip said, if thou believest thou mayest. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, does that put me into Jesus? Does that put me into Christ? Because all spiritual blessings are in Him. Let's take away anything we've ever been told in this life. And let's read strictly what the Bible says. We understand faith and repentance and confession. But does that put me into Christ? Romans 10 verse 10 says, With the mouth, or with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So what did the eunuch do? He confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and he was on the cusp of salvation unto, not into, unto. So let's go back to the question. How did I get into Christ? Open your Bibles with me, please. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. Let's notice verse 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Who is he talking to? Chapter 1, verse 2, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches at Galatia. He's talking to Christians. The letter was written to Christians. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How did I get into Christ? Baptized into Christ. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Never take anyone's word. For where your soul will be eternally. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 5. The Romans were having a misunderstanding of grace. They understood that grace came because you sinned. And so then they thought, well, the more I sin, the more grace I receive. So Paul responded to that in chapter 6. What shall we say then, verse 1? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Who's he writing to? Christians. Those people who are no longer living in sin. Verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. How do you get into Jesus where the spiritual blessings are? Through baptism. Do you need faith? (laughs) You can't please God without it. Do you need to repent? If you don't, you'll die in your sins. Luke 13.3 Must you confess? Well, if you believe, you will. Acts 8.37 The Ethiopian eunuch was on the cusp of salvation. And then do you know what he did? Then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Philip went to the well. Ethiopian eunuch went to the well. They drank the life-saving water that only Jesus offers. Do you know what's interesting about drinking that water? You have to drink it. Jesus provides it. He won't make us drink it. He won't drown us in the water. He gives us the water We have to choose to drink it. Where are you at today? Are you at the well? Are you on the cusp of salvation? Do you believe? Have you changed your life in repentance? Have you made that confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you on the cusp of salvation? Have you gone down into the water to have your sins washed away? Acts 22, 16. Did you come up to walk in a new life, being a new creature? Romans 6 verse 4. Are you in Jesus Christ where all spiritual blessings are? Have you done those things and you've walked away from the water that you drink and never thirst anymore? Have you gone back and now you're drinking water and you're thirsting again? I drank all my water. Now I need some more. Jesus doesn't do that. His water is one time. You're saved and you're faithful. Can you fall away? (laughs) The Galatians did. Galatians 5 verse 4. If you follow after the old law, turn to it and read it. If you follow after the old law, if you're justified by the old law, you have fallen from grace. Writing to Christians who obeyed the gospel. Are you at the fountain? Are you at the well? Are you coming to the well? Think about that as we stand and as we sing.